Yes, I am a mark. Yes, I am a mark. Yes, I am a mark. That was the infamous voice of the 20th century's most famous killer, Lee Harvey Oswald, a cold, satanically dedicated assassin who took the life of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy in Dallas, Texas, on Friday dictator. The anti-communist opponent for the debate was a Cuban refugee who operates a struggling little dry goods store in New Orleans, which caters to fellow Cuban refugees. The militant anti-communist who debated Oswald was Carlos Bringier. This was not Bringier's first encounter with Lee Harvey Oswald. A few days previous, Oswald had tried unsuccessfully to infiltrate Bringier's anti-Castro group. But let's listen to Bringier's account of this initial meeting. These are his own words. He writes, Last August the 6th, a young American visited my store in New Orleans, offering to cooperate in our struggle against communism. He said his name was Lee H. Oswald. He asked for propaganda, so I gave him some anti-Castro material. He offered me his financial cooperation, which I did not accept. Then he tried to convince me of his value as a trainer for our Cuban refugees, as he had been a Marine. The following day, he returned and left a book entitled Guidebook for Marines, with his name on the first page. When three days later, a group of friends and myself were walking by Canal Street in New Orleans, we saw an American spreading Castro's propaganda with a big sign that started, Hands Off Cuba and Long Live Fidel. The man was Lee H. Oswald, the same one who offered to train us to fight Fidel Castro. When he saw me, he was surprised. I came closer and started to argue with him. A few minutes later, some 80 or 100 persons were around us. Then I began to address the public, telling them that he was a communist. I told them about what had happened in my store and that he wanted the same things that were occurring in Cuba to occur in the United States. He wanted to see them and their children executed. The Americans started to shout, traitor, communist, go to Cuba, kill him. One of them pushed him by his arm. I was going to hit him, but as I got closer to him, he extended his arms downward and said, hit me, hit me. I reacted, controlling myself. When the police arrived, they arrested all of us. My picture in the official file had the number 112-726. Soon after dark, we got out on a bail bond of $25 each. Later, a trial took place with the attendance of some 30 Cubans. The police lieutenant who acted in the case declared that when he arrived, he only saw the yellow papers of Castro's propaganda on the floor. I declared in my defense, and others accused, saying, Your Honor, I deeply regret my appearance in front of this court, but at the same time, satisfied because I am not guilty of any of the charges against the peace and the dignity of the city of New Orleans. I then presented the facts. The judge was very impressed when presented the Book of the Marines as a proof of conviction. When the judge gave his verdict, he charged him, Lee H. Oswald, who happened to be the chairman of the Fair Play for Cuba in New Orleans, and also fined him with $10 for public disorder and an attempt against the dignity of the city of New Orleans, and he dismissed the charges against us altogether. End of quote. Now, let us go back to August 21, 1963, and listen to this famous verbal exchange between Lee Harvey Oswald and the anti-communist Cuban Carlos Bringier over a radio station in New Orleans. Now, I will ask the identical questions posed by the two moderators on the broadcast. 
One moderator for the Oswald Bringier debate begins by establishing the background of Oswald's New Orleans group, Fair Play for Cuba. This is the background on Fair Play for Cuba established by the announcer. First, for those who don't know too much about the background of the Fair Play for Cuba committee, this is an organization that specializes primarily in distributing literature straight from New York. For the several years it has been in existence, it has operated principally out of the East and out of the West Coast and on a few college campuses. Recently, however, attempts have been made to organize a chapter here in New Orleans. The only member of the group to have revealed himself publicly so far is 23-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald, who is secretary of the local chapter of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. He first came to public notice several days ago when he was arrested and convicted for disturbing the peace. The ruckus in which he was involved started when several local Cuban refugees, including Carlos Bringier, who is with us tonight, discovered him distributing pro-Castro literature on the downtown streets. Mr. Oswald and Bringier are here with us tonight to give us opposing views on the Fair Play for Cuba Committee and its objectives. Now, I'll give you a very brief digest of some of the principal propaganda lines of Fair Play for Cuba. I use the word propaganda, rather I should say informational lines of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Number one, the principal thing that they insist is that the Castro government today is completely free and independent and is in no way controlled by the Soviet Union. Another cardinal point of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee's propaganda is that Premier Castro was forced to seek aid from the Russians only because the United States government refused to offer any financial aid. Earlier, I asked Mr. Oswald if he had ever or was ever a member of the American Communist Party, and he said that the only organization to which he belonged was the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Mr. Oswald also gave me this rundown on his personal background. He said that he was a native of New Orleans, had attended Beauregard Junior High School and Warren Eaton High School, had entered the United States Marine Corps in 1956 and was honorably discharged in 1959. He said during our previous interview that he had lived in Fort Worth, Texas before coming here to establish a Fair Play for Cuba chapter several weeks ago. However, there were a few items, apparently, that I suspect that Mr. Oswald left out in this original interview, which was principally where he lived between 1959 and 1962. Now, some newspaper clippings have been brought to my attention, and I also found some through an independent investigation, Russian newspaper clippings to the effect that Mr. Oswald had attempted to renounce his American citizenship in 1959 and become a Soviet citizen. There was another clipping dated 1962 stating that Mr. Oswald had returned from the Soviet Union with his wife and child after having lived there for three years. Mr. Oswald, are these correct? That is uh, correct, yes. You did live in Russia for three years. That is correct, and I think those, uh, the fact that I did uh, live for a time in the Soviet Union gives me excellent qualifications to uh, repudiate charges that Cuba and the Fair Play for Cuba Committee is communist controlled. Mr. Bringier, perhaps you would like to dispute that point. I want to know exactly the name of the organization that you represent here in the city because I have some confusion. Is Fair Play for Cuba Committee or Fair Play for Russia Committee? Well, that is, of course, very provocative and uh, uh, question, I don't think it, it requires an answer. Well, I will tell you why. Because before the communists take over Cuba, 
Cuba was at the head of Latin American countries. And I can show you that in Cuba, in 1858, every 37 persons had an automobile. And in Russia, was 200 persons for one automobile. In Cuba, was six persons for one radio. And in Russia, was 20 persons for one radio. In Cuba, was one television set for 18 persons. And in Russia, was 85 persons for one television set. And in Cuba, was one telephone for every 38 persons. And in Russia, was one telephone for every 580 persons. Cuba was selling the sugar, the sugar in the American market and was receiving from the United States more than $100 million a year over the price of the world market. And the United States was paying to Cuba that price in dollars. Right now, Cuba is selling the sugar to Russia. Russia is paying to Cuba 80% in junks, in machinery from Russia, and 20% in dollars. I think that Cuba right now is a colony of Russia, and the people of Cuba, who is living Cuba every day, who is escaping from Cuba every day, they disagree with you that you are representing the people of Cuba. Maybe you will represent the, uh, the colony of Russia here in this moment, but not the people of Cuba. You cannot take that uh, responsibility. Well, in order to give a clear and concise and short answer to each of those, uh, uh, well, let's say questions, I would say that the facts and figures from a lower country like Pakistan or Burma would even uh, reflect more uh, uh, light upon Cuba in relation to how many, uh, how many television sets and how many radios and all that. Uh, this, I do not think, is a, um, a subject to be discussed tonight. Uh, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, as the name implies, is uh, concerned primarily with Cuban-American relations. Well, how many people do you have in your committee here in New Orleans? Uh, I cannot reveal that as secretary of the uh, Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Well, I is it a secret society? Uh, no, it is not. However, it is a, a standard operating procedure uh, for a political organization consisting of a uh, political minority uh, to safeguard the names and the number of its members. Well, the Republicans are in the minority. I don't see them hiding their membership. The Republicans are not a, uh, well, <laughs> the Republicans uh, are a established political party representing a great many people. They represent no radical point of view. They do not have a very violent and sometimes emotional opposition as we do. Oh, I see. Well, would you say then that the Fair Play for Cuba Committee is not a communist front organization? Uh, the Senate subcommittees who have occupied themselves with uh, uh, investigating the Fair Play for Cuba Committee uh, have found that there is nothing to connect the two committees. We have been investigated from uh, several points of view, that is, points of view of uh, taxes, allegiance, subversion, and so forth. The findings uh, have been, as I say, absolutely zero. Well, I have the Senate hearings before me, and I think what I have in front of me refutes precisely every statement that you've just made, for instance. Who is the honorary chairman of the Fair Play for Cuba committee? Uh, the honorary chairman of this committee, uh, the name of that person, uh, I certainly don't know. Well, let me tell you in case you don't know about your own organization. No, I know about it. His name is Waldo Frank, and I'm quoting from the New Masses in September 1932. 
title of his article is How I Came to Communism, a Symposium by Waldo Frank, Where I Stand and How I Got There. Now, let me ask you a second question. Who is the secretary in the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, the national secretary? Well, we have a national director who is Mr. V.T. Lee, who has recently uh, returned from Cuba. And because of the uh, fact that the United States government has imposed restrictions on travel to Cuba, he is now under indictment for his traveling to Cuba. Uh, this, however, it's very convenient for uh, rightist organizations to uh, drag out this or that literature purporting to show a fact which has not been established in law. I have said that uh, the Fair Play com uh, for Cuba Committee has definitely been investigated. That is very true. Mm -hmm. uh, I have also said that the total result of that uh, uh, investigation was zero. That is, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee is not now on the Attorney General's subversive list. Any other uh, material you may have is uh, superfluous. Mr. Oswald, if I may break in a moment, I believe it was mentioned that you at one time asked to renounce your American citizenship and become a citizen of the Soviet Union. Is that correct? Well, I don't think that has a particular uh, uh, import to this discussion. We are discussing uh, Cuban-American relations. Well, now, I think it has a bearing to this extent, Mr. Oswald. You say, apparently, that Cuba is not dominated by Russia, and yet you, apparently, by your own past actions, have shown that you have an affinity for Russia and perhaps communism, although I don't know that you admit that you are either are a communist or have been one. Could you straighten out that point? Are you or have you been a communist? Well, I had answered that uh, uh, prior to this program on another radio program. Well, are you a Marxist? Yes, I am a Marxist. Well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is uh, primarily the difference between a country like Ghana, Guyana, Yugoslavia, uh, China, or Russia. Uh, very, very great differences. Differences which we uh, appreciate by giving aid, let's say, to uh, Yugoslavia in the sum of a uh, hundred million or so dollars. The difference is, uh, is as I said, a very great difference. Uh, many parties, many uh, countries are based on Marxism. Uh, many countries, such as Great Britain, display very socialistic uh, aspects and characteristics. I might point to the socialized medicine of Britain. Uh, yes, Mr. Oswald, I believe that any questions about your background are strenuous to any discussion tonight. I disagree because of the fact that you refuse to reveal any of the other members of your organization, hence you are the face of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee in New Orleans. Therefore, anybody interested in this organization would like to know more about you. For this reason, I am curious to know just how you supported yourself in the three years in the Soviet Union. Did you have a government subsidy? Uh, well, as I, uh, uh, well, I will answer that, uh, that, uh, question directly then, uh, since, uh, uh, you will not rest until you get to your answer. Uh, I worked in Russia. Uh, I was under, uh, the protection of the, uh, of the, uh, I was, that is to say, I was not under the protection of the, uh, American government, but that is, I was, uh, at all times, uh, considered an American citizen. I did not, uh, lose my, uh, American citizenship. Well, did you say you wanted to at one point, or, or what happened? It's a, a long drawn out uh, situation in which permission to live in the Soviet Union granted to a foreign resident is very rarely given. Uh, this this requires <coughs> a certain amount of technicalities, uh, uh, technical papers, and so forth. Uh, at no time, as I say, was I, uh, did I renounce my citizenship or attempt to renounce my citizenship, and at no time was I out of contact or uh, with the uh, American Embassy. 
Now, may I interrupt one second? One of these two statements is wrong. The Washington Evening Star, October 31st, 1961, page one, reported that Lee Harvey Oswald, the former Marine of 4936 Collingwood Street, Fort Worth, Texas, had turned in his passport at the American Embassy in Moscow on that same date and had applied for citizenship, and this seems to me that you had renounced your American citizenship if you had turned in your passport. Well, the very obvious answer to that is that I'm back in the United States. A person who renounces his citizenship, citizenship becomes legally uh, disqualified for returning to the United States. Right, and Soviet authorities, this is from the Washington Post and Times-Herald of November 16, 1959, Soviet authorities have refused to grant, although they had informed him that he could live in Russia as a resident alien. What did you do during the two weeks from October 31st to November 16, 1959? As I have already stated, of course, this is a whole conversation, and we don't have too much time left as getting away from the Cuban-American problem. Uh, however, I'm quite willing to discuss myself for the remainder of this uh, program. Uh, as I have sta stated, it is very difficult for a resident, uh, for a foreigner to, to get permission to reside in the Soviet Union. Uh, during those two weeks and during the date that you mentioned, I was, of course, uh, uh, with the knowledge of the American Embassy, getting this permission. Were you ever in the building in Moscow where the foreign minister resides? Kuznetskaya? Mm -hmm. uh, Kuznetskaya is the, uh, well, that would be uh, probably the foreign ministry, I assume. Uh, no, I was never in that uh, place, although I know Moscow having lived there. As a practical matter, Mr. Oswald, knowing, as I am sure you do, the sentiment in America against Cuba, we, of course, severed diplomatic relations some time ago. I would say Castro's about as unpopular as anyone in this country. As a practical matter, what do you hope to gain through your work? How do you hope to bring about what you call fair play for Cuba, knowing the sentiment? The principles of the fair play for Cuba uh, consist of uh, restoration of diplomatic trade and tourist uh, relations with Cuba. That is one of our main points. Uh, we are for that. I disagree that uh, this, uh, this uh, situation regarding American-Cuban relations is uh, very unpopular. We are in a minority, surely. Uh, we are, however, not particularly interested in what Cuban exiles or rightist uh, uh, members of uh, rightist organizations have to say. We are primarily interested in the attitude of the United States government toward Cuba. And in that uh, way, we are striving to get the United States to adopt measures which would be more friendly toward uh, the Cuban people and the new Cuban regime in, in, uh, in that uh, country. Uh, we are not uh, at all uh, communist-controlled, regardless of the fact that I have the experience of living in Russia, uh, regardless of the fact that uh, uh, we have been investigated, uh, regardless of any of those facts. Uh, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee is an independent organization, not affiliated with any other organization. Our aims and our ideals are very clear and in the best keeping with American traditions of democracy. Do you agree? with uh, Fidel Castro when he, in his last speech of July 26 of this year he qualified President John Fitzgerald Kennedy of the United States as a ruffian and a thief. Do you agree with uh, Mr. Castro? I would not agree with a particular wording. However, I and the Cuba into the sphere of activity of let's say a very dogmatic communist country as China is. Mr. Oswald, would you agree that when Castro first took power, would you agree that the United States was very friendly with Castro and that the 
people in this country had nothing but admiration for him and that they were very glad to see Batista thrown out? I would say that the activities of the United States government in regard to Batista were a manifestation of not so much support for, uh, for uh, Fidel Castro, but rather uh, a withdrawal of support from Batista. In other words, uh, we stopped armaments to Batista. What we should have done was to take those armaments and drop them into the Sierra Maestre, where Fidel Castro could have used them. As for public uh, sentiment at that time, I think uh, even at that time, even before the revolution, there were rumblings of uh, official comment and so forth from government officials uh, against Fidel Castro. Well, you've never been to Cuba, of course, but why are people in Cuba starving today? Well, in any country uh, emerging from a semi-colonial state and embarking upon reforms uh, which, uh, which require a diversification of agriculture, uh, you're going to have shortages. After all, 80% of imports into the United States uh, from Cuba were two products, uh, tobacco and sugar. Uh, nowadays, uh, while, the, uh, Cuba is, uh, while Cuba is reducing its products as far as uh, sugarcane goes, it is uh, striving to grow un unlimited and unheard of uh, for Cuba quantities of uh, certain vegetables, sweet potatoes, lima beans, cotton, and so forth so that they can become agriculturally independent. This was the end of the August 21st, 1963 radio debate. Oswald cleverly avoided discussion of his stay in Russia, the renouncing of his American citizenship, and the mysterious events surrounding the granting of permission by American officials in Moscow to Oswald so that he might return to the United States. Some of the spokesmen of the far left insist that Lee Harvey Oswald was insane. However, it is a fact that he was not a raving maniac, but a cruel, calculating killer, according to the evidence turned up by the police and also as indicated by his own conduct most of the time. He had eaten at least part of his lunch while waiting for Kennedy's caravan to appear below him on the streets of Dallas. He was seen sipping a Coca-Cola shortly after he shot the president. Police stated, according to Newsweek magazine, December 9, 1963, that Oswald was in full possession of his mental powers. We're not denying that he was warped in his thinking. It may be that his hatred toward others helped condition his mind for the reception of communism. And as a Marxist, he was certainly out of touch with reality, for Marxism as a philosophy of life is a perversion of reality. Some have felt that since Oswald denied that he was guilty of the assassination, that there is therefore grounds for doubt that he was guilty. Al Capone never pleaded guilty to being a gangster, and he was not jailed for being one, but for evading income tax. According to the police and the evidence which has been made public, Lee Harvey Oswald, one, was a communist, two, was an expert marksman in the Marines, three, had lived in the Soviet Union and renounced his American citizenship, and four had applied at the American Embassy in Moscow for a passport to return home, having uh, being loaned money by Ambassador Llewellyn Thompson in the amount of $450 in order that he might come back to the United States with his Russian wife. Llewellyn Thompson is now assistant to Dean Rusk, Secretary of State. The question in a lot of minds is, did Castro ask Lee Oswald to assassinate President Kennedy? According to the New York Times, November 25, 1963, Castro denied that he had anything to do with it. However, we know that the denial of a communist is not sufficient grounds on which to base a conclusion. Gromyko lied to President Kennedy concerning missiles in Cuba, even though he must have known that Kennedy knew that Gromyko was lying. 
to the communists, any lie is the truth if it helps communism. Although we do not know at this point whether or not Castro ordered the assassination of President Kennedy, anyone who has studied communism and also Castro knows that he would not hesitate to do it if he thought he could get by with it and it would serve the cause of communism. In the November 25, 1963 issue of the Richmond News Leader, the editors reveal what many respected Americans believe concerning President Kennedy's assassination. I quote, Although we live in an age of international assassination, it will be difficult to uncover the ramifications of the plot. There is no reason whatever to believe that the United States are immune to the international communist conspiracy. The prime suspect, in our opinion, is not Khrushchev, who was already making good progress toward his goals of burying the free world. The finger points to Fidel Castro, an old hand at assassination. While at the University of Havana, he wove the nets in three or four assassination plots. He wove them again at Bogota. In August of this year, as Castro rode through one of his provinces in an open jeep, a bullet meant for the tyrant was stopped in the flesh of a bodyguard. Castro accused the American Central Intelligence Agency. Two weeks later, he recovered his composure to talk to reporters at a reception in the Brazilian embassy. Every American who mourns our president will want to read the dispatch as it appeared in September. September 8th, Associated Press from Havana. Quote, Prime Minister Castro said Saturday night, United States leaders would be in danger if they helped in any attempt to do away with leaders of Cuba. Bitterly denouncing what he called recent United States prompted raids on Cuba territory, Castro told a reporter in an impromptu interview, we are prepared to fight them and answer in kind. United States leaders should think that if they are aiding terrorists' plans to eliminate Cuban leaders, they cannot themselves be safe. If there is any doubt what leader Castro had in mind, a United Press reporter at the same interview centered almost entirely on Castro's hatred of the late President Kennedy. Quote, President Kennedy is the Batista of his time and the most opportunistic American president of all times, Castro said. Kennedy is a hate monger, a member of an oligarchic family that controls several important posts in the government. Kennedy is thinking more about re-election than about the American people, end of quote. Now, after the assassination of Dim and his brother, upon which the U.S. smiled, to say the least, there is every reason to assume that Castro reviewed his position. The parallel with the assassination of Trujillo in the Dominican Republic is too close, and the Central Intelligence Agency left too many clues around. Certainly, the Prince of Cambodia had second thoughts about the CIA in his own neck. Castro was rapidly approaching a crisis. The Soviets were withdrawing troops and aid. There were well-founded rumors that Averill Harriman's deal between Washington and Moscow dealt Castro out. On Monday, the late president spoke in Miami and offered to help a Cuban government, any sort of government, if foreign domination were thrown off. It was an open invitation to do away with Castro. Now, a trip through the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, of which Lee Harvey Oswald was an officer, is a trip through the sewers of the liberal left in the United States. In the hearings before the Senate Internal Security Subcommittee, there appears a parade of communists, Trotskyites, socialists, bleeding hearts, pacifists, and pious pornographers. On September 9th, the very day that Castro's threats against the president were being reported, Senator Barry Goldwater of Arizona pleaded before an audience in Cleveland, the radical left poses an immediate and serious threat close to the government of the United States. 
And here is where we must concentrate our attention and attack. Back on March 30th, 1961, Senator Thomas J. Dodd, Democrat of Connecticut, spoke of the American newspapers and their determination to crush the John Birch Society. He said, but for some reason, which I cannot understand, the press has not used this weapon anywhere near as effectively against the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, the various offshoots of the Communist Peace Offensive and the other Communist Front operations in this country, end of quote. The former FBI undercover agent, Herbert A. Philbrick, said of the pseudo-liberals of the far left, show them a movement like the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, organized under communist direction and with communist financial support, and these self-same liberals are just not interested, end of quote. It was interesting to see the chairman of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, Vincent Theodore Lee, trying to deny that Lee Harvey Oswald had the official sanction of the national office to set up the Fair Play for Cuba Committee in New Orleans. It is especially strange that the organization should have waited until after Oswald murdered the president to publicly disclaim Oswald. Why should we believe individuals and officials of this organization and what they say when not under oath since they invoked the Fifth Amendment when before congressional committees? Congressman Kramer of Florida stated on the floor of Congress March 15, 1962, beginning in April of 1960 and continuing for a period of some 14 months. The Senate Internal Security Subcommittee held hearings to determine whether the Fair Play for Cuba Committee was a subversive organization and thus whether it should properly be placed on the Attorney General's subversive list. Imagine my continuing surprise and consternation to learn that the Attorney General has not yet seen fit to list the Fair Play for Cuba Committee as being subversive in spite of overwhelming evidence to the contrary produced at the several hearings by the Senate Subcommittee. Indeed, I ascertained a certain amount of misguided feeling that this group of rabble-rousers had gone underground after Fidel Castro made his open announcement that he had formally embraced communism. And I seemed to gain the impression that the Department of Justice might feel that there no longer remained any need for being apprehensive about what the Fair Play for Cuba Committee has recently been up to. I detect this feeling among those who should be chasing communists instead of forgetting about them." End of quote. As a result of the hearings by Senator Eastland's Senate Internal Security Subcommittee, it was proven that the Fair Play for Cuba Committee was born in the spring of 1960. One of the top men of CBS News, Robert Tabor, and another man named Waldo Frank put together the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Waldo Frank, incidentally, as far back as 1932, wrote an article for New Masses magazine entitled How I Came to Communism Symposium. Congressman Kramer said that Robert Tabor duped the Columbia Broadcasting System and the network was used for Castro public relations in the United States, which resulted in picturing Fidel Castro as a regular salt of the earth. Another CBS newsman also associated with this communist front was Richard Gibson. After terminating his services with CBS News, CBS thought well enough of Gibson to send him to Columbia University in New York on what is known as a CBS fellowship. Soon after he arrived on the campus, Columbia University found itself with an active, full-fledged chapter of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Soon after the committee had been formed in New York, Tabor placed a full-page ad in the New York Times, headlined, What is Really Happening in Cuba?, which, of course, supported the position of Fidel Castro. Some of the best-known names in the far-left camp were listed as sponsors of this organization, including Negro author James Baldwin, Reverend Donald Harrington, 
Reverend John Papandrew, Professor Eugene Noble, and Truman Capote and Norman Mailer. The ad listed Waldo Frank as chairman and Carlton Beals as co-chairman of the Fair Play for Cuba committee. The Senate Internal Security Subcommittee quizzed both Tabor and a prominent New York City physician, Dr. Charles A. Santos Bush, as to the cost of the ad and the source of the funds used to pay the bill of $4,725. Dr. Santos Bush admitted that their efforts to raise money for the ad through private and voluntary subscriptions fell flat. And aside from a few hundred dollars they managed to raise, the funds came to Tabor and Santos Bush from the Cuban government. Santos Bush, incidentally, is registered as a foreign agent and, according to the latest count, is assistant pathologist at New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center. Congressman Kramer, in his March 15, 1962 speech, further stated, the Attorney General's failure to place this group on the subversive list becomes all the more baffling when we consider that the annual FBI report for the fiscal year 1961 states, in part, FBI investigations also have shown that the Fair Play for Cuba Committee has been heavily infiltrated by the Communist Party and the Socialist Workers Party, and these parties have actually organized some chapters of the committee. Both organizations, of course, are on the Attorney General's subversive list, end of quote. The Weekly Review, published in London, issue of December 20th, 1963, stated, concerning the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, Organized in April 1960, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee represents a joint undertaking between the Communist Party and the Socialist Workers Party, the Trotskyite Communists, to defend, support, and otherwise carry out the aims of Castro's Cuba. With four chapters in Canada and 23 chapters in the United States, this communist organization is one of the most fanatical red networks in existence. Lee Harvey Oswald, one of the chapter chairmen, played an important role in the 6,000-member organization. When he pulled the trigger to kill President Kennedy, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee symbolically stood behind the stock. The Fair Play for Cuba Committee network effectively covers the United States and Canada. Communist fanatics similar to assassin Lee Oswald can be found in any of its local chapters. It is interesting to note in some areas the Fair Play for Cuba Committee holds its regular meetings in churches. For instance, in Los Angeles, the committee held periodic meetings at the First Unitarian Church, 2936 West 8th Street. Its minister, Stephen H. Fritchman, is listed as honorary chairman of the committee. Fair Play for Cuba chairman Vincent T. Lee, 35 years of age, according to the Tampa, Florida Tribune, December 15, 1961, is actually the son of Mr. and Mrs. Charles Tappan of New York City. When appearing before the committee of the Senate, Lee refused to answer whether or not he knew the Tappans, whether he was a member of the Communist Party or had ever received financial compensation from it, and all questions relating to his education, date, and place of birth. The Tampa Tribune article declared that Lee was known to have been a member of the now-defunct Socialist Youth League. It is apparent that after Lee Harvey Oswald, Kennedy's assassin, returned to the United States from the Soviet Union, he immediately went to work for Fair Play for Cuba in New Orleans, where he was arrested for passing out anti-American literature on the streets of New Orleans. On Thursday, November 28, 1963, the Dallas Morning News carried a story entitled Evidence points to red activity, which included the following, quote, A prosecutor has said that evidence found in the Oak Cliff room of Lee Harvey Oswald proves he was an active worker in the communist cause. 
Assistant District Attorney William F. Alexander said the evidence included letters in which a communist leader thanked Oswald for past services. Alexander said part of the letters were written on Communist Party of America stationery, while others carried a fair play for Cuba letterhead. All of them were written in recent weeks and were signed by the same man, the assistant district attorney said. He is a New Yorker who is an active communist, end of quote. On Friday, December 20th, 1963, Robert Beatty Fennell, 29, of San Francisco, was arrested by the United States Secret Service in nearby Berkeley. Fennell carried in his pockets notes exclaiming, my immediate goal, the assassination of President Johnson. Fennell admitted that he also was a member of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Men and movements of the far left are engaged in an indisputable psychological warfare effort directed against the anti-communist and conservative patriots of the United States. The liberal establishment has used the hideous assassination of John F. Kennedy as a weapon for the destruction of old-fashioned Americanism and the grassroots anti-communist movements in this country but the American people and their Congress have become their real target. Actually, this effort paid the same price as John F. Kennedy did. Prior to the assassination of Mr. Kennedy, we already were being successfully conditioned into acceptance of this delusion that communism is no menace here in America. The consequences of our stubborn refusal to combat this evil internally could be more tragic than what happened at Dallas on November 22, 1963. Since this is a battle for men's minds, the far left is determined to manipulate public opinion in order to socialize American economy and throw this government into a world government state. There are federal laws that would eliminate the Communist Party and would thus do away with the communist threat internally if enforced. Had these laws been enforced during the Kennedy administration by the Justice Department under the Attorney General, Mr. Kennedy would probably be alive today. The Justice Department failed to enforce the law of the land, that is, to arrest those communists who had refused to register as agents of the Soviet Union and put them on trial for treason. Under the law, according to a decision of the United States Supreme Court, Communist Party members were supposed to register as agents of the Soviet Union by November 20, 1961. The officers of the Communist Party were supposed to register by December 1st, 1961, and all the ordinary members of the Communist Party were supposed to register by December 20th, 1961. Although their deadline ran out two years ago, the Justice Department made no arrests or individual indictments of Communist Party members across the country. Since there is no doubt in anyone's mind that the assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was a communist, having lived in Russia, having renounced his American citizenship, and having been arrested for communist activities upon his return to the United States later, he would have been arrested, tried, and by this time jailed, and would not have been free to assassinate the President of the United States. So then, the failure of government officials, whoever has the responsibility to enforce the law, is responsible in part for the death of the President of the United States. Because of the tremendous influence of communism internally and its liberal allies, the American leaders in the realms of religion, politics, and education have not adequately backed the federal government's investigations into communism. Since the federal government cannot operate in any field where there is no public support, the failure of educators, clergymen, and government officials to back internal investigations into communism and to take action as a result of these investigations has made it possible for a communist assassin to take the life of an American president. In fact, 
investigations into communism and the prosecution of communists have been discouraged by many leaders of the American community for the last 10 years. The assassin of John F. Kennedy, Lee Harvey Oswald, according to the FBI report, may have been acting on his own in the killing of the president. If he did it on his own, it does not alter the fact that communism did it, for Oswald was an indoctrinated communist. If he did it on his own, it was obviously not a snap judgment. The evidence indicates that he tried to assassinate anti-communist General Edwin A. Walker in Dallas on the previous April 10th. Lee Harvey Oswald's widow said that the night of April 10th, her husband told her boastingly and excitedly that he had just made an attempt on the life of General Walker. Oswald apparently was an assassin who had plenty of time to think over the entire question of assassination. If Oswald did assassinate the president without outside instruction, what could have been the more immediate circumstance which led him to do it, other than the fact that he was a communist? The president had made a speech the Monday before he was killed in which he indicated that if the Cubans would get rid of the Castro government, our nation would help them rebuild Cuba. Just as Oswald assassinated the president, so communism aims to assassinate humanity, civilization, freedom, morality, and God. We must wake up or perish. The continually expanding power of the communist conspiracy in our nation is frightening to any informed person. For America to be saved from this cruel conspiracy and its powerful allies, there will have to be an awakening of the American people on an unheard of scale. The help of God is essential. Whether we like it or not, we're all in the struggle between the forces of Satan and truth. To refuse to fight back merely aids the enemy who is moving ever closer to complete enslavement of us all. Let us all resolve to do our part in this all-important struggle for survival and never forget that to win we must remain loyal to our God and Savior. On this crusade of the century, let's resolve to go with God.